From deep in the heart of the swamp, this is Gator Tales, the official podcast of the Florida Gators. Gator Tales is brought to you by UF Health, the official healthcare provider of the Florida Gators. Welcome to Gator Tales. I'm your host, Adam Schick. The Heat Is On is more than just a classic 80s hit. It also describes the present state of Gainesville. Record temperatures will greet softball in their Super Regional this weekend, while baseball faces a more figurative heat while sweating out their NCAA fate. On today's show, we'll discuss softball's shutout weekend and upcoming battle with Tennessee, baseball's stressful waiting game, the end of a tremendous run for men's tennis, a milestone accomplishment for women's golf, Dan Mullen's comments on football's recent developments, and the best sports biopics in the PAT with FloridaGators.com senior writers Chris Harry and Scott Carter. Then, we'll chat with baseball senior captain Nelson Maldonado about their push to keep their season alive and reaching the end of his Gator career. But first, softball built a head of steam in the SEC tournament and kept it going into regionals, where they dominated in shutout fashion, including a combined no-hitter. So to open our roundtable, we asked Chris to break down how the Gators got it done. I wrote a story and I guess just she was kind of like uh, the team in microcosm. I wrote a story last week about how Hannah Adams was one of the players who was kind of figuring some things out. She, she used the term. Um, she had a talk with Coach Walton uh, late in the season. And she said it kind of flipped the switch. And the talk was wasn't anything mechanical or, you know, technique wise. It was all about confidence. And um, maybe what she's doing is kind of, like I say, uh, speaks to the rest of the team. They're stepping in there and getting timely hits. You know, she had three more RBI hits in the tournament last weekend. Um, obviously, when you play these regionals, it's not the high quality of weekend, weekend out of Southeastern Conference play. But like we talked about last week, it was a different kind of regional. It was uh, teams that you, the Gators wouldn't normally play. Uh, there were no teams from the state of Florida, whereas in past regionals, there have been uh, three other teams in addition to Florida coming here to Gainesville. But uh, uh, certainly Boston University and Boise State and Florida never got around to playing Stanford. But it was a little different animal for, for those teams coming in here. And again, Florida goes through a regional without giving up a run. Kelly Barnhill was terrific. And her, uh, ERA in postseason now is at uh, 0.19. Mm. Um, that's not bad. Yeah, uh, she's given up one run in however many innings that is. I think it's 32 innings, something like that. Uh, she's been terrific, but you know, Amanda Lorenz in the final game, uh, three for four. She's now. We were wondering if she was going to be able to finish the season um, as the first player in school history to bat 400 for a career. Well, she's gone from hitting, I think it was 407. I think she's up to 424 right now, mm. um, you know, heading into super regional play. And so here comes uh, Friday night uh, matchup against Tennessee. Tennessee came here and handled the Gators um, pretty significantly. But it was the first SEC uh, series of the season, Adam. I wouldn't say Florida had been anywhere close to finding their footing. Uh, Tennessee won two and three. They uh, knocked uh, Kelly Barnhill out early in the Friday night game. Kelly Barnhill came back and beat them in the in the Sunday game. So they had a 2-1 advantage, but you know we're wiping the slate clean, obviously. And uh, uh, this is a different team, just like I'm, I'm sure Tennessee is. And obviously, I don't know Tennessee as well as I know this Florida uh, team, but I know Florida's at home in their uh you know this is why they built this some 15 million dollars into this new stadium for weekends like this and it is going to be hot as hell 
uh, I mean, you're talking about potentially now. Thankfully, the the Friday and Saturday games are are night games, so they're going to get some. But we're talking about record heat approaching that could be in play uh, Sunday. We're talking about near 100 degrees, if, if not over 100 degrees, which is unfathomable here when you consider there's no chance of rain either. Wow. So so. There could be some weird circumstances in terms of the conditions, but like I said, this will be quite a weekend in the new stadium. Kelly Barnhill's got some juice flowing with her, with the way she's pitching right now, and you know we'll see what Tennessee has for, but it it should be quite a weekend out there at the softball stadium. And I guess it speaks to the uh, level of play in the SEC over the last few years that this is the fifth straight super regional opponent for Florida that hails from the SEC. So a lot of familiarity there, and there's good and bad that comes with that. I'm curious to see how it all shakes out. But in terms of uh, feeling the heat, I think it's a good way to describe baseball as well right now because, Scott, looking at what they've done in the last week or so since we spoke about them, they went to Missouri and got a, a huge sweep that a lot of people thought may have pushed them into the tournament, and then they go to Hoover for the SEC tournament and they lose next the innings in their first game to AM, which puts that maybe in a little more doubt after people thought they had pushed their way in. So somewhat like we talked about with men's basketball when they were getting toward the end and seeing if their resume stacked up to get in, that's sort of where we are with, with baseball right now as well. Yeah, I mean, I think this is exactly the way the season has gone for the Gators. I mean, uh, they've had stretches where they played well, and then right when you think they might find consistency, the pitching usually bites them. And again, you know, you saw what happened in the first round of the SEC tournament in the loss to Texas A&M. Uh, they fell behind. The offense came back. Then they took the lead. Pitching gave it back. And the, in the end, you know, the offense uh, had a late rally. And it, then they lose in extra innings. And uh, this is a, a team, a program that's been built around pitching. So it, it's still difficult sometimes for a long time fans to get their head around the fact that the pitching is the problem and the, it's just the young staff uh, you're looking at now they're going to have to sit around for a week and you know it depends on which commentator you're listening talk you know Adam at this point some have them in some have them out uh, I, I look at it like this I think there's a lot of dominoes to fall in the next five or six days of these conference tournaments around the country and sometimes that looms negatively for the team that's one of those for, uh, last in where Florida is right now. Uh, so they got to hope for really no major upsets in the conference tournaments to get a, a surprise team in that large bid. If if those tournaments play out according to script, then I think the Gators, you know, they have a pretty strong case with their RPI, their strength schedule, their history of the postseason. I mean, they have a lot of uh, intangibles in their favor, but Again, they, they really need the conference favorites to win and, and everything to fall into place. And, and then they'll know, uh, what, next Monday at noon on ESPNU? That's a long time, Adam, so yeah. a lot can happen. But uh, again, it, it, to me, it's a coin flip at this point. Well, and it seems most people believe if they do get in, they'll probably head down to, to Coral Gables and be uh, probably a, a three seed at Miami, which is interesting in the sense that when you look at what they did against Missouri, and, and this was something that Kevin O'Sullivan harped on too, that shows you that they're still a dangerous team and they're not the kind of three seed that most people want to see come to their region because they've proven that they can still beat really good teams. It's just the inconsistency that makes it hard to know if they will. 
one of the things that they have in their favor is, you know, they've played well against the Miami and uh, Florida State. I think they're five and one against those two programs. You know, they're 13 and 17 in the league, but they're still, what, 10 games over 500 overall. So it's just, like you said, it is, it's been consistency. Uh, that's the nature of the beast when you're dealing with a lot of freshmen, a lot of sophomores who are getting their most significant playing time uh, for the first time. And then anytime you factor in a pitching staff that's not only young, but doesn't have the ace that this program is known for in recent years under Kevin O'Sullivan, there's, there's not a, you know, Logan Shore, or a Hudson Rand or Alex Fado or a Brady Seeger or Jackson Coar. There's not one of those guys right now. Tommy Mason's good. Jack Luff, which had his best outing of the year in that, uh, at Missouri last weekend winning co-SEC pitcher of the week with the two-hitter out there. But Tyler Dyson, who we've mentioned here, he's he's kind of disappeared. Not really big part of the picture right now. He was your number one guy going into the season. And then the bullpen's been inconsistent. They don't they can't match up like they have over uh, the Kevin O'Sullivan's tenure. One of his strengths as a manager has always been having a, enough diversity in the bullpen to get favorable matchups. And when you only have one left-hander in the bullpen, Jordan Butler, and he's struggling, you're at a disadvantage a lot of times in close games late. It's just been the story this season. There's no quick fixes. Uh, the best scenario can happen is they get in, uh, they get a favorable regional. Uh, if they were to go down to Miami, I think there's a familiarity factor there that are, and they're a confidence that you might not have at some other stops. So I would imagine that would not be the worst place. Uh, but at the same time, they got to get there first, Adam. So we'll find out along with the team on uh, on Monday at noon if they are, in fact, going to be dancing or if this season is coming to a, an early end. So stay tuned to that. Uh, one team that did have their really magical run come to an end this past week was men's tennis. And we've talked about them a lot lately for the, the history they were making for that program. And unfortunately, they ran into a, a buzzsaw in Texas that would go on after the Final Four and win the national championship. But clearly a sign that that program is on the rise and Brian Shelton's really got things going the way that he wants. Yeah, you know, he finished his seventh season, Adam, and it, it's hard for me to believe he's been here that long, but it's his best season. This was a team that, you know, finished 25 and four. They were at one time ranked up as high as number two in the country. Uh, they had not made the NCAA semifinals since 2003, and they went down to Orlando after that um, emotional win against Tennessee to get to the Elite Eight. And they swept Baylor uh, at the USTA National Center down in Orlando, which I'll just go ahead and throw this out there if you guys haven't. In there, if you ever go there and you like tennis, man, what a facility. That was my first time there. But after they get by Baylor, they face Texas. And uh, this is one of those stories that I didn't even realize how good of a story it is until I got down there. But Texas, uh, their, their coach, he was caught up in that NCAA admission scandal. He was taking bribes to get uh, kids. So they fired him midseason. <laughs> and Bruce Bork takes over, who Chris may remember that name. He was an assistant at Florida under Ian Dubenhag back in the day. So he takes over the job midseason uh, because they got rid of the coach. He played guilty to these charges and now is facing jail time. Uh, he takes over Texas rallies and they go on to win the national title. And, of course, that's who Florida ran into in the Final Four. And the Gators, I mean, they were right there. They, they got down early. Uh, they got it to 3-2. to two. 
but then Texas closed it out. And uh, again, they went on to win the national championship the next day by beating the fitting national champion Wake Forest. But for the Gators, the heart of that team with uh, Oliver Crawford, Sam Rafis, Andy Andre, I mean, they have a talented young roster coming back. They have a really good recruiting class coming in. And Brian Shelton afterward, you could just tell that he's very optimistic about where this program is. And, and this was a chance for those guys who are coming back next year to get a taste of, of this time of season. And they watched as Texas celebrated after beating them uh, to get the championship match. And, you know, I'm sure they're going to remember that and that's going to drive them next year. But if you do, uh, if you're a fan of Florida Gators tennis, Ryan Shelton has a good thing going over at the Reen Complex and uh, it will not surprise me again next year if we're talking about the Gators back in the Final Four again. So congratulations to men's tennis on a great run this year. And, and as you said, Scott, we look forward to seeing what's next for them in the future. Uh, another sport we don't get a chance to talk about a lot, but we try and highlight when there's some especially history-making news is women's golf. And I know that uh, it was quite a weekend for Sierra Brooks, who made some pretty significant history as far as Gators go. Yeah, you know, Sierra Brooks, Adam, uh, at the NCAA Championships, did something that no Gator had done in more than 30 years. The last time a, a Gator finished as high as runner-up was uh, Paige Dunlap in 1986 when she won it all, and the Gators repeated as national champions that year. And Sierra Brooks goes out to Fayetteville, and uh, the Gators, they, uh, they struggle to finish outside the top 10 as a, a collective group. But Sierra Brooks finished runner-up to Maria Fossey of Arkansas, who, uh, if you have followed Sierra Brooks this year, uh, you know that her and Maria Perez, Armada Perez, did go to Augusta National back in early April and uh, in the first-ever women's tournament at that historic course. And I went up there and covered that. And Sierra had a good performance up there, too, going into the, the final round. She was Right there with Maria Fossey in the top three on the leaderboard, she'd finished, I think, 10th, and Fossey finished runner-up. Well, this time it was Brooks and Fossey won, too. Fossey won, uh, Brooks finished runner-up at four under. I think Fossey was eight under on her home course. It kind of caps really a, a big year for Sierra Brooks. Her next stop is going to be at the U.S. Open, and then in some summer, I'm sure, uh, maybe at some other uh, events as an amateur and then taking a break at some point, coming back. And uh, she's a big part of the, the future here. But again, uh, what a way for her to cap her junior season. National runner-up. And again, first time since 33 years, Adam, which was before you were born, unfortunately, right? That is correct. So we get to make you feel young again while we feel <laughs> old. Which seems to be a trend on this show that I don't like. <laughs> How do you think I feel? With you, with you young guys. No, so just to pile on that, um, she managed that after shooting a 75 in the first round. Wow. Yeah, she popped a 67 in the second round and stayed in contention in that third round despite, I think she had she, I think she had seven birdies, but I think she also had two two double bogeys. And just was, it was a roller coaster uh, uh, day for Sierra Brooks and yet still finished um, in second place for that individual title. So like like Scott said, that's quite a uh, quite a cap 
It's been a few weeks since we've talked about basketball. It hasn't been a lot of news to report, but this week we did see the release of the non-conference slate. So, Chris, after looking at that, what matchups are going to be most compelling for fans? The Florida State game, which a lot of fans will be pointing to, obviously, because Florida's lost five straight to them. They never lost four straight. Now they've lost five straight. Um, that's going to be quite a game. The Gators wanted to open the season with that, like they had to open the season this past year um, in Tallahassee. But the start of the ACC network precluded uh, FSU from doing that. So that will be the second game of the year. It will be a home game on a Sunday afternoon. None of these times have been announced. But, of course, there's the, there's the trip in November to UConn. There's a trip in early December to Butler. Both uh, The UConn game will be a, a, a return the following season. Butler, of course, is a return from this past year. There's still some holes to fill. Florida's going to play in the Naismith Basketball Hall of Fame game at Barclays Center, although there's some buzz that that game could possibly end up uh, in Madison Square Garden. There, that That is to be determined. There have been some uh, reports uh, uh, on, on the potential teams. Uh, one I would put, I would say may happen is Providence. So that could be an interesting game there. Sunrise is always a game that shows up uh, whoever the Gators play in that Orange Bowl Classic. That's usually determined sometime in the middle of the summer. Um, there's also the SEC Big 12 Challenge game, which has not been announced yet. But if you look at it, Florida's played West Virginia. They played Oklahoma. They played Kansas. They played Baylor. They just played a... Uh, excuse me, TCU this, this past year. The teams that are left now, Oklahoma State is a team that hadn't played in that event yet, but they played Oklahoma State down in uh, Sunrise a couple years back. So I imagine that that game, which is slated for January 25th, Adam, here in Gainesville, it's going to be either Texas Tech, reigning runner-up, or Texas, highly named opponent, obviously, or Iowa State which had a fantastic season uh, this past year. So um, that's going to add to the things. And they got the Charlton Classic. They usually play a Thanksgiving tournament. It's going to be the week before Thanksgiving. There's some good teams in that. Xavier, St. Joe's, Miami, uh, UConn, which means the Gators could play UConn twice, like they played Butler twice last year with the game also in the Bahamas. And also, also Buffalo is in there. Buffalo is obviously a team that had quite the uh, last two seasons. So just to wrap this thing up in a ball, basically Florida is playing another solid non-conference schedule. And it's because they played a non-conference schedule uh, this past year that included Florida State and Michigan State and Butler and Oklahoma and West Virginia. That pushed them into the NSA tournament with 14 losses or 13 losses, I think was the I think they ended the regular season at 17 and 13. And they were able to get an NSA tournament bed by winning a couple games, obviously, in the SEC tournament. But it was their strength of schedule that helped uh, push that. And uh, that's going to that's a trend that's not I don't think it's going to change around here. Um, I think it behooves a, a program like Florida to trot out a good schedule every year. And again, this is one is incomplete. There's still uh, uh, one or two games, um, like I said, that, that need to be filled out. But uh, the stronger you are in your non-conference, that really gives you some leeway going in the SEC in terms of padding that RPI or whatever they call it next year. It's another good slate for Florida. And it opens November 5th against North Florida at home. So mark your calendars. We will certainly mark our calendars for that. And the calendars are already marked for football's season opener, which is almost exactly three months away. And uh, we know in the last few weeks there's been a lot of hand-wringing among some fans about some of the -the off-the-field news. And we touched on it last week, but, Scott, we've got some uh, additional comments from Dan Mullen addressing those issues. Yeah, I went down to Mullen's uh, speaking engagement at Canton World Stadium last week, uh, Adam, and obviously the big news was some of the off 
off-the-field stuff that we did talk about. And I thought Mullen handled the questions well, as expected. Uh, there were some things that he was unable to go into because of student privacy laws. There's some things that he doesn't know and that he's not going to make a decision on, specifically in, in the case of Brian Edwards. He, he said that he's not with the team, but he wants to make, before he makes any final conclusion, he wants to let that investigation play out. Uh, there was another incident with a staff member kind of along the same lines who was who is on administrative leave. So he kind of house cleaned a lot of those things. But, you know, he said, look, you know, on the outside, there's a perception uh, that maybe things are off track. But the reality is that these are isolated incidents. They're not connected. There's some bad decisions being made. He's disappointed by those because these are topics that they talk to players about regularly. They have speakers uh, in to talk to them. The coaches talk to them. And hopefully – it's just doing the right thing, not getting yourself in these situations. And uh, and they're going to let these a couple of these incidents play out. And then the people involved will, you know, they'll face whatever consequences. But, you know, they're, they're, he was disappointed in terms of after such a what I call an extended honeymoon period a couple of times. I mean, he's been here now over 18 months. And, and really, it's been such a, a refreshing period for the program. It had been good until this last stretch. And. And now uh, they hope that these guys uh, you know, are back during summer session. Uh, they're working out, and I'm sure those things will be uh, addressed internally. Hey, don't make these bad decisions that you know make us look bad. Moving on to our PAT this week, I was inspired by uh, the death of Nicky Lauda, uh, which was earlier this week. He was a famous race car driver who Ron Howard made a movie about this feud between him and I forgot the other driver, but he was played by Chris Hemsworth, a.k.a. Thor. And uh, it was a great movie a few years ago called Rush. That's uh, It's underappreciated. People should check that out if they didn't see it. But it got me thinking about the best movies about real-life sports figures. And uh, I'm curious for you guys, what does that bring to mind? I have a few. And the thing about it, sports movies are, are so hard to make because if they don't have some kind of a, a last second drama or something like it, it seems like you always have to have that for the sports movie to be what it is. And that's why you see some of these movies get ginned up a little bit. As good as Seabiscuit was, there's a lot of uh, fiction. The same with Glory Road. I, I thought that was a good movie also. Mm-hmm. Um, you mentioned um, Ron Howard making um, uh, Rush. He made a great movie called Cinderella Man. Mm-hmm. Also, which was a, a great boxing movie, and I, I do think I think think boxing movies lend themselves to uh, being um, probably the best among the sports movie genres. Um, if, if you think about it, I mean, whether it's uh, Raging Bull or, like I said, Cinderella Man or something like that, um, The Fighter, actually a good movie. Now, name yeah. a bunch. My favorite, my favorite, and I, this goes back a long way. And this says something because nowadays, in this in this lack of imagination among the film industry, where they got to make every movie like. 17 times like the movies you like um pride of the yankees you've probably never seen it before i've heard of it though it it was made in 1942 it is the story of lou gehrig and uh gary cooper plays luke gehrig Teresa wright is his love interest walter brennan is uh, one of the reporters that follows the yankees around um and one of the co-stars babe ruth plays himself okay that's all you need to know and he ain't bad actually but uh uh the story obviously of of him growing up the son of a of german immigrants um, how he picks uh, playing. I, th- I think I think he's an Ivy League baseball player, and and the mom wants him to be an engineer. And it is the story of Lou Gehrig 
up to the point where Lou Gehrig checks out with his uh, famous, I consider myself the luckiest man on the face of the earth speech. It's fantastic. One of the cool things that nobody knows about this movie and it was special effects kind of introduced at an early time. Um, he was right-handed and they filmed him in a, in a pinstripe Jersey with the, everything backwards and flipped the film. Mm-hmm. So he looked uh, coordinated, hitting left-handed as Lou Gehrig. Is it dated? Of course. So it's it's going to be sappy and what have you. But uh, it's so good that people have decided they're not going to try to remake it, which is, I think, a testament to that film. When I think of great sports movies, I automatically think of Space Jam with uh, <laughs> Michael Jordan. It's a true story uh, as well. The true ones that are based on real life, like Chris said, they're often stretched a little bit. I mean, obviously, I like Miracle about the 1980 U.S. hockey team. We're looking for biographies. As a biography, I mean, I, I liked Ali. Will Smith played Ali. Mm-hmm. So that was a pretty good movie uh, when it came out back in the early 2000s. I think Bull Durham is my all-time favorite sports movie because, you know, it's, it's, got, a, it's got a lot of realism in it. But is it based on a real story? No. What about The Natural? Is The Natural real? No, no. <laughs> he's playing for the New York Knights, for God's sakes. Okay, well, hey, I, it's off a book. I actually have another uh, story deviation for you. When I went to the Baseball Hall of Fame, probably six or seven years ago at this point, and we got a tour of the underground vault where they keep pretty much 90% of the memorabilia, the stuff that's not on display, oh, I actually got yeah. to hold the real Wonder Boy bat from The Natural. Oh, wow. And I've got oh, pictures cool. to prove it. I'll send you guys the pictures. That's cool. I'm well, sorry. Continue. So, you know, you're asking uh, about true stories. I'm like, I, t- I totally agree with Chris for s- on something here. Boxing movies, I think, are the best uh, if you go back in history. I mean, Rage and Bull won an Oscar for Robert De Niro playing Jake LaMotta. I mean, and, it, and back for a movie that was made, I think, in 1980. I mean, it, it packed a lot of punch in reality. A lot better than that stuff you see in Rocky where people are flying through the air and stuff. Um no, I mean, if I had to pick one, I think a Raging Bull or, I mean, The Fighter's not based on a real story, right? Yeah, The no, Fighter's, yes. that's about Mickey Ward. Absolutely. Yeah. Great movie. Okay. I did watch one recently that you guys might like. It's just called Chuck, based on Chuck Wepner, who fought Ali. And at one time, they labeled him as the Great White Hope hmm. back in the 70s. And then after his Ali fight, which he lost, he got beat up and he fell on some hard times, uh, but it was a really interesting story and uh, one I enjoyed. And um, whatever my favorite one is, guys, it's going to be a boxing movie. Well, I'll give you guys one, that, and I'm, I may have a better answer for this. I'm just not thinking of. So go figure. I asked a question. I didn't really have an answer prepared for. Um, but if we're talking about boxing movies, maybe a lesser known one. Are you guys familiar with Hurricane with Denzel Washington? Of the Hurricane's a great story about a falsely imprisoned fighter named Ruben Hurricane Carter. That's, uh, you know, it's not so much about the boxing, but it's about a real life figure and whose career was cut short because of this. So I'd recommend that for anyone who's looking for a uh, older classic. It's about 20 years old at this point. So highly recommended. Um, yes. Well, in any case, we could go on for these all day, but uh, you guys have stories to write for FloridaGators.com that people want to read. So they can check that out by visiting the site or following you guys at Gators Scott at Gators Chris on Twitter, and they will have softball, baseball, everything covered for you this upcoming weekend and beyond. Uh, Stay cool down there, guys, and thanks as always. Thanks, Adam. Thanks, Adam. For a guy who only had one offer to play college baseball, Nelson Maldonado certainly made the most of it. 
The Tampa native has improved each year in the program, capping off his career with a first-team All-SEC mention for the first time earlier this week. We spoke to Nelson about his best memories as a Gator and more, but begin by hearing about the beginning of his story. I was actually born in Chicago, Illinois. I lived there just about till I was six years old, and then I moved down to Florida because my parents were born in Puerto Rico. So that was a huge environment change for them. They went from, from living in Puerto Rico to going to Chicago, and you know how cold it gets up there. Sure. So just about six or seven years, they, they got tired of the cold, and you know we decided to move down to Tampa, Florida. And my dad was a mechanic, and then my mom was a manager at a key shop over there in Chicago and we moved down and my dad was still doing mechanic and my mom was a manager at an auto repair shop. So they've always, you know, revolved around kind of the same thing. Any brothers or sisters? Yeah, I have. <laughs> I have two older sisters hmm. and they're, they're kind of bullies to me. You know, they <laughs> always pick on me. You know, they always call me the princess of the house because <laughs> they, they say I'm too spoiled. But no, I love them. They always gave me a hard time. But, you know, they've made me the man I am today. And, you know, I really appreciate them. So when you were growing up, were they into sports as well? Where did, where did the sports gene come from in your family? I would say both my parents and my mom. My dad played baseball for a little while. He never got to anything professionally, but um, he loved playing baseball. And my mother, she uh, played volleyball back when she was younger. So, you know, um, the sports have always been in the family. And both my sisters played softball and volleyball and all that stuff, too. So, you know, sports have always been involved in our family, and, and you know, it carried on to me. So when did you start picking up baseball? Was it the first sport you played and immediately loved, or were there others, and you drifted to baseball a little bit later? So baseball was actually my very first sport I played and the only sport I really played. I played, like, a month of flag football, but, you know, I never really liked it as much as baseball. And I actually started in Chicago, and it was uh, it was this league called the Pamper League where kids were still, you know, in diapers running around. <laughs> so, yeah, that was, that was pretty much the start for me, and that was all I needed to – fall in love with baseball. Do you remember a moment or maybe a time where you really realized it's something that you wanted to commit basically the, the first part of your life to? Yeah, I would say around middle school, you know, because I feel like it always brought my family closer. Um, you know, they love traveling just as much as I do. So it brought us closer and it gave them a way to support me and it gave me a way to, uh, you know, make them proud. You mentioned you love traveling. What kind of places would you guys go growing up? And what, what kind of places are you interested in traveling to? Oh, we would visit Puerto Rico all the time. You know, we'd go on a cruise down to Mexico. Hmm. Um, where else? We went to the Dominican Republic one time. You know, we were just all over the place. And there was a time where every year we went to Daytona Beach, uh, at least once a year, every year for like six years straight. And I thought that was awesome. You know, my family just liked getting out. They like exploring. And, you know, just they just like being all over the place. You mentioned the background in, in Puerto Rico as well. I'm curious, how was your family affected by Hurricane Maria? And, and how did that how did you feel the after effects of that even being away from it now? You know, my family, luckily, thank God that they weren't affected as much. But I know they were out of power for at least a month. And, you know, I, I couldn't even imagine that, honestly. But, you know, thank God it didn't really hit them too hard. I know there was. There were some regions right by where they live where they were completely flooded. You know, people lost their houses. Basically, every, every possession they had. And, 
you know, we were fortunate enough where, you know, our family wasn't really affected that bad, but, you know, it makes us think, like, the, all these other families, you know, they had to go through all these hardships, and, you know, we did it the much as much as we could, you know, we, we donated to Puerto Rico, you know, we, we tried to help them out as much as uh, we could to get them back on their feet. Have you been back down there since or not yet? I went last summer. You could tell there were some parts that were still recovering. I know there was buildings still being cleaned up and, you know, just things like that. When you get to go back down there and some of the other islands you were talking about, what do you like most about it? What are the things you look forward to doing when you go down there? Oh, just walking through the beaches. You know, they have one of the best <laughs> the best beaches. You know, the air just hitting in the face. You know, that, that sense of relaxation. You know, you can just walk and ease your mind and not have to worry really about anything. I want to bring things back to, to baseball for you here. When you were going through the, the recruiting process, what schools really stood out to you and, and why was Florida ultimately your choice? Right. So this is the funny story. This is the story I love telling everyone. Uh, <laughs> coming out of high school, I wasn't heavily recruited at all. In fact, Florida was my, um, my only offer. And, you know, that happened within two or three days. I remember Craig Bell came to, came to come see me uh, hitting cages and take um and watch me take ground balls in someone's front yard <laughs> and that's about all it took for them to <laughs> to offer me so i think that was a really crazy story you know one day i just i woke up and i had a missed call from kevin o'sullivan i'm like i was like is this real i, <laughs> I ended up calling him back and he was like hey uh we, we want to come see you play and practice and i was like shoot all right let's, let's get down to it so they, they ended up coming down to see me uh practice and you know that was that was about it that was where my life really just, you know, <laughs> turned for the better. Mm -hmm. So when you got to campus and you started your career, I guess it, it probably seems like it was just yesterday in some ways, although it was four years ago. What do you remember about the transition process and, and how you sort of acclimated to both being in college and also playing baseball at, at that level? Well, for me, at least, in my opinion, it was probably a, a hard transition just because, you know, you come straight out of high school, you know, high school class you know you take classes but they aren't as demanding as they are in college so it was a big adjustment you know trying to figure out okay when am i gonna have time to study i'm, I'm gonna have to go to the field i'm gonna have to go practice and all this and i have to set time aside for each thing i have to do so that was probably the the hardest aspect of that transition just time management and you know being responsible for the work you have to get done you know i struggled at first but I feel like after a couple months, I settled in, you know, and I started getting used to it. Which guys on the team especially were, were most helpful to you when you were a younger guy and they were the veterans? The, the first guy that stands out to me is Mike Rivera. You know, he was probably the biggest influence, you know, my career here at Florida because we grew up together and, you know, I've known him for a while. So coming to school with someone like, you know, is probably a, a huge benefit. And, you know, my case, he helped me out a ton you know off the field and on the field so I feel like he was like a big role model to me as well on top of that how crazy is it to see that I mean Pete Alonzo is frequently the lead highlight on SportsCenter I mean for someone to come from from your program and now be such a headline grabber that that's got to be really impactful I imagine oh yeah that's that's awesome you know and and Pete actually went to Plant high school and you know they were uh they're about like a mile from my high school so my freshman year of high school, I always saw Pete, and you know, fortunately, I had to see him run around the bases against us. <laughs> but uh, no, it was awesome knowing that you know I was a former teammate of Pete's, and you know I got to see him 
grow as a player and, you know, make it to the MLB. And I wish everyone uh, actually would meet Pete. He's like, he's a big teddy bear. He's a really nice guy. And, you know, he always offered me advice and he was always willing to help me out with, with anything I had. Well, and it's it's good to hear about that, too, because then it reminds you of the responsibility you have to then pay it forward. So I'm curious, which younger players do you feel like you've had the biggest impact on after you became the mentor? There's a list of players. I, I feel like I've, I've been able to help Will Dawn when he came into the team. Uh, who else? Uh, Jacob Young. I feel like I've, you know, see things from different views, you know. They're coming out of high school, these young guys, and they see things from, from a high school pr- perspective, but that's what I'm here for, basically. You know, you know, we've helped a lot of these guys, you know, settle in and, you know, and get the job done. How did you find out that you were a team captain, and, and what did that mean to you? Right, so I found this out when I had my exit meeting after last season. Kevin O'Sullivan, he, he told me, hey, we're, uh, we want to give you the, the role as captain uh, next year. I told him, thank you for giving me this honor. You know, I'm going to take full responsibility for it. You know, I'm going to do the best I can with it. And I'm going to try to help these guys as much as possible. When you look back over the moments on the field, uh, I mean, I could probably guess what the answer is, but I'm curious from your perspective what some of your, your favorite moments are that you've had on the field as a Gator. First of all, you, you already know my first answer is going to be part of <laughs> the na- national championship. I thought that might be it. Yeah, man, that was a crazy year. I I had it in the back of my mind, but I wouldn't have expected it. You know, that year, I think we started off the year 0-7 when we played uh, midweek games on the road, and somehow we turned around. We won the SEC regular season uh, championship. You know, we, we made it to a regional. We, we won. We made it to a super regional. We won. Then we made it to Omaha, and you was like, man, we're, we're actually pretty hot right now. Let's see what we can do with it. Mm-hmm. And, man, to actually win a national champion, that was part of the best moment of my life. When you think about some of the, the times you've had off the field, I'm curious, maybe uh, your most memorable story from a road trip or something that kind of that kind of displays the bond that you guys have off the field since most people only see what happens on it. I think the best thing about being on the road with these guys is, you know, being with them when we're not going to play. Every road series, we usually pick one place and we, we go over there, we eat, we talk for hours, you know, and not just about baseball, we talk about other things so I've, I feel like that's the best part about this team is we're not just the, this team either the past team still you know we can go to them and talk to about talk to them about anything you know and they can relate to us on a, on a personal level and I think that's awesome because this bond that we create now and this bond will last for a lifetime I know you've got a lot of pranksters on that team as well so uh, any notable pranks that you can tell us about from your career any notable pranks? Wow. Um, <laughs> or, or are there too many? <laughs> I mean, there's a couple. I remember there was one time we, we were in the locker room. This is a pass player, Nick Horvath. We're in the locker room, and <laughs> so we had this bathroom section of our locker room, and he waited till we got to the bathroom section to pour some, like, spoiled milk on us. That was probably, that was probably the, the only one that, you know, that's, G-rated to yeah, I was I was gonna to, say <laughs> yeah to tell on uh, on this podcast. That seems that seems fair enough. I I can only imagine what stories go beyond that, but th- those will remain untold for now. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> you go by the nickname Nelly. Uh, yes, is that directly tied to the rapper, or did it sort of happen on its own, and, and then people started thinking they were the, the same thing? No, so uh, it it wasn't tied to rapper. It was actually so one of my former coaches. Every time I went up to bat, 
he did this exact same thing. He was like, whoa, Nelly. <laughs> and, um, you know, it pretty much just stuck with me uh, the rest of my life. So, you know, to, to have it carry on and have the fans really get into it now, that, that's awesome. And, you know, I, I love it. Do you like Nelly the rapper? Oh, yes, I do like Nelly the rapper, <laughs> yes. Uh, you mentioned traveling as being a big hobby of yours. What else do you enjoy doing when you aren't on the field and don't have to be focused on baseball? Usually when I'm home, you know, I go fishing. Uh, my dad and I, you know, we usually pick a, a morning that we want to go out fishing. And, you know, we live in Tampa, so we have um, we have the Gulf right there. So we take our boat out 10 miles out. And honestly, at the end of it, like, we, we don't really mind if we don't catch anything, but you know, the, the best part about it is just not being with each other and, you know, relaxing, not really have to worry about anything. What's the biggest fish you've ever caught? Uh, a grouper. That's probably the biggest fish I've caught. How big is a grouper? What, what are we talking here? Well, the one I caught was four feet and it, and it weighed about like 100 pounds. Oh, wow. That's a big grouper. <laughs> yeah, no, but it, they, can get, they can get bigger, so. When you're not in the state of Florida for long enough, you forget how big some fish are, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> um, I'm sure this is something you've thought about a little bit, although it probably creeps in at moments you want it to go away. But as you come up on the end here for you, what does the future look like? What are what are your plans after baseball is over here? Oh man, uh, I hate this question. <laughs> <laughs> no, but it has it has been on my mind lately. You know, I'm hoping to you know take my career on to the next level. But you know, if it doesn't, then you know that's that's part of it. And you know, that, I'm not really worried about that part. You know, because. I have such a strong support system behind me. So if baseball doesn't work out, I'm planning to go to med school. Wow. And yeah, I'm planning to go to med school and, you know, take it on from there. Why med school? Where where did that inspiration come from? No, I want to say, so like my dad has always had a lot of health problems. So I've been to the hospital a lot of times and, you know, I've helped him out with whatever he needed help with. And I feel like that just inspired me to get out into that medical world and, do anything I can to, you know, help others and be able to, you know, help them recover from whatever injury, whatever illness they're going through. That's really cool. Yeah. As you guys battle down the stretch here, I know it hasn't been the kind of year that, that you and your senior class wanted, but you've still got that carrot out in front of you. You're trying to get to the tournament and, you know, make a run, as you talked about in 2017, you never know. So what, what are the focuses as you try to make that run to the NCAA tournament? Right. Just uh, basically just buckle down, make key pitches, you know, driving those key runs and, you know, be clutch. That year that we won it, we didn't have the very best team fours ever had, but, you know, we got the job done each and every way. So I feel like going along the stretch here, you know, we, we've got to focus. And, you know, basically right now it's it's a mental game for us. So we, we got to lock it down. You know, um, I'm not worried about the talent on this team because we have plenty of it. And these freshmen, you know, that, that they brought in this year are, are really good. They have live arms. They have a lot of power. They can play great defense. So, you know, I have I have no uh, doubt that in the future, you know, this program's going to still be at the top, you know, regardless of the season we're having this year. That happens to anyone, and you can't really judge a, a program based off of uh, one season. But, you know, I think they're going to be fine. They have a lot of great players, you know, uh, that know what they're doing and respect the game and, and love the game. And, know every aspect of the game so th this seems going to be fine well nelson thank you so much for your time we really appreciate it and good luck to you down the stretch oh uh, no problem no problem thank you very much and that's going to do it for this week's show
If you haven't already done so, be sure to subscribe to Gator Tales in the podcast app of your choice, and please leave a review to help us continue to grow. Head to FloridaGators.com for info on all of this week's action, and make sure you come back next week for an all-new episode. Until then, I'm Adam Schick, and I'll see you in Gainesville.